there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. We started early yesterday morning and all day long and last night. We studied what God's Word has to say about this significant place, Bethel. Did you know Bethel is the second most mentioned place in the Old Testament, only behind Jerusalem? And there's a reason for that, because Bethel, house of God, was a place where significant people in Scripture met with God. How many of you want to meet with God tonight? Now, for the record, I'm glad we don't have to go to a building or have to go halfway around the world to the same geographical location. God will meet you right where you are. But there is a principle in the place. Don't miss this. I'm not really preaching on Bethel. I'm preaching on the God of Bethel. It's not a place we're after. It's the person of God we are pursuing. And with that in mind, I want you to open your Bible now in the Old Testament to the book of Judges. to Judges chapter number 20. And I want you to get your pen ready, if you will, because I'm going to ask you to write some things down tonight. And when we finish studying the Word of God together, we're going to have a very definite season of prayer. I personally think every time you read and study the Bible, you ought to let the Word lead you to prayer. Because I think the right way to respond to somebody that talks to you is you talk back to them. And so the Word, God speaks to us. He reveals Himself in prayer. We speak to God. We respond to Him. And so when we finish tonight, we're going to pray as we always do, but especially tonight. And I think you'll understand why in just a moment. Judges chapter 20 is, I think, one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. I don't know how I missed this for years, but Judges 20, Bethel is here. When I say Bethel, now before you read ahead of me, look at me just a minute. When I say Bethel, everybody's mind goes to the book of Genesis. Isn't that right? And we think about Abram going to Bethel the first time, and he met with God, and then he goes down to Egypt, which he shouldn't have done, makes a mess out of things like we all do. Where does he come? He comes back to Bethel. Then his grandson, Jacob, meets God at Bethel. As his life radically changed, but... Still, he makes some bad decisions, and so 30 years later, guess where God says to him to come back to? Come back to Bethel. Now, I just testify for a moment and tell you, at this juncture on my journey with Jesus, I'm realizing what I have to do over and over and over again is just keep coming back to Bethel. Back to humility. Back to repentance. Back to faith. Back to first love. Back to the basics. Back to Bethel. See, that's why you have a revival. You don't have a revival so you can have some new thing happen. You have a revival so you can have a fresh awakening of what God has already done. And so we go back to Bethel. Somebody says, in Judges? Mm -hmm. In Judges. 
Because Bethel, the house of God, was not just the place where Abram met with God and Jacob learned to meet with God. It was the place where Israel, the nation, the descendants of Abram and Jacob would learn to meet with God. I said to you that Judges 20 is a sad chapter. The reason for that is because Judges 20 follows Judges 19. That's deep, isn't it? And Judges 19 is one of the most wicked, vile, debauched, Stories in the whole of Scripture. I won't read it with you tonight, but the descendants of Benjamin, the Gibeonites, are guilty of horrible, horrible sin. Now that's bad. What's worse is they refuse to repent. God gives them space to get right. God gives them an opportunity, mercy, and grace. And in their selfishness and in their stubbornness, There is no repentance on the part of the tribe of Benjamin, and so conflict is inevitable. Judgment is coming. And for the record, if you think people are getting by with sin right now, excuse me, if you think you are getting by with sin right now, I just want you to know the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And there will come a day. Judgment will come. So the children of Israel who want to be right, who want to stay right, know they've got to deal with this, and they're getting ready to go up in battle against their own brethren. They've got to deal with the sin and purge the sin from their midst if they want to continue in the presence of God. But don't miss what they do. Look at Judges chapter 20 and verse number 18. And the children of Israel arose and went up. Would you mark this in your Bible? To the house of God. And asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Watch this, please. They, they've, got, they've got a battle ahead of them. They've got things to deal with. What is their first response? Their first response is, Dear God, what do you want us to do? Did you know you can tell how spiritual a person is by what their first response is? First responses always tell on you. We get ticked off. You ever get ticked off? We get annoyed and aggravated with people, agitated by circumstances. And do you know usually what our first response is? Usually our first response is flesh. I can't speak for you, so let me just talk for me, all right? Usually our first response is tell somebody off. How dare they? That's first response. You know what that is? That's flesh. I'm going to tell you what spiritual people do. Conflict comes in a church, and it comes in every church. Every church I've ever known has problems. Would you like to know why every church I've ever known has problems? Because every church has people in it. And people have problems. And sinners don't always do right, and sinners don't always get along. And so there's conflict, and there's friction, and things just don't always happen perfectly. And do you know what spiritual people in a church do? Spiritual people don't open their mouths. Not to men, they don't. But spiritual people get down on their faces and say, Now, Lord, what do you want us to do? See, we don't have to agree with each other. You don't have to agree with me, and I don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with people down the road from you, but you do have to agree with God. 
Somebody says, I don't know how you get all these people to get along. You don't get everybody to get along all the time. But here's what you do. You get everybody on the same page with God, and when everybody's on the same page with God, God tells everybody what to do. And the only people who don't like that are fleshly people who don't want to do what God wants them to do anyhow. They just want to do what they want to do to start with. Problems in a family, financial struggles and problems with children. First response, i got to fix this. i got to straighten this out. And by the way, we men are the worst at this. We're the worst because we're fixers by nature. We're leaders. We're men. We're going to take care of it. We're going to make it happen. I remember early on with our children, we had three teenagers at the same time. That will change your life. And I thought I, thought I could lecture through it. I thought I, if I just talked enough, it would fix it. And I learned something. My words didn't have the power to straighten all that out. I also learned something else. My prayers got more done than my lectures did. In a family, problems come, needs arise. Let me tell you what spiritual people do. Come on, children. Come on, children. Let's all get here together. We're all going to get down on our knees and pray. Because Daddy didn't know what to do. But God will tell us. There's a lot of young people here tonight. I'm glad. And, and, and not just young people here, but older people here at every stage on the journey trying to figure out what's next and plan the future and what's over the next horizon, what's around the next bend. You say, I don't know. No, but the worst thing on earth you can do is ask everybody else what they think you ought to do. And the best thing you can do is exactly what they did. You get to God and you say, dear Lord, what do you want us to do? Now, you marked in your Bible, in verse number 18, the house of God. Would you write in the margin of your Bible the name Bethel? This is so wonderful. I got to stand this this week. Look, I just discovered this. Now, maybe you've known it all your Bible study life. If you have, congratulations. But I just discovered this in the last few days. When I read this, I always thought they were in Shiloh. You know Shiloh? Shiloh was the first capital of Israel. It was the capital before Jerusalem. We were just about, what, Dad, 13 months ago or so in Shiloh. We went to Shiloh. They're doing archaeological digs there now. It's fascinating. And we're standing in a certain place, and the tour guide said to us, do you see this area right here that's cordoned off? And we looked at it. He said that is the exact dimensions of the tabernacle. He said, we believe we've uncovered the place where the tabernacle actually set when Shiloh was the capital. Now, honestly, I just stood there for a minute looking at that and thinking, this was holy ground. God was among his people in this place. And I always read this and thought, well, they're going to the tabernacle. They're going to the house of God. They must be going to Shiloh. Let me show you something. Turn a page. Look at verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, all the people went up and came unto the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, and look at the princes in verse 27, it's important, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. It's significant. He's saying, let me explain to you parenthetically, it's in a different place right now. It's not in the normal place. It's not in Shiloh. It's in Bethel. And I got to looking. And do you know what the Hebrew word, the actual Hebrew word in Judges chapter 20 is for the house of God? It is not the word for Shiloh. It is the word for Bethel. I can't explain all this to you, but there was a juncture in Judges chapter 20 where the tabernacle had been moved to Bethel. I love this. The tabernacle of God was in the house of God. 
And the people of God said, we got to get to God. And so what did they do? They went to that tent of meeting. They went to the tabernacle. They went to the house of God in Bethel. And they said, oh God, you show us what to do. May I say to you, God has always intended from the very beginning that his house would always be a house of prayer for his people. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus came walking through that temple and made his whip? His scourge, you remember that? And started kicking over the tables of the money changers. Said, get all this junk out of here. My father's house is to be a house of what, church? A house of prayer. Somebody said, well, that was true of the tabernacle and that was true of the temple. Hold on just a minute. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God which dwells in us. So let me ask you a personal question. Is your house a house of prayer? I'm not asking if this church building is a house of prayer. The only thing that makes a church building a house of prayer is a people of prayer. It's not a house of prayer because the pastor preaches on prayer. It's not a house of prayer because you have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. It's not a house of prayer because you have a prayer list and a prayer room and a prayer line. It's a house of prayer if the people know how to get a hold of God. And until God's people learn to pray... We are not fulfilling what God always intended for his people. When Jesus Christ, by his blessed Holy Spirit, moved into your house on the day of your salvation, he didn't rent, he bought. He doesn't move in and out, he moves in to stay. He brings his heavenly U-Haul and unloads all of his own furniture. And let me tell you what he wants in that house. He wants that house, your tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Ghost of God, to be a place where every day of your life you get a hold of God and meet with the God of Bethel. And I wonder, have you prayed today? I'm not asking, are we going to pray in this building? What kind of church meeting do you think it would be if we never prayed? Would you go to a church that never prayed? Tell me, yes or no? If you went in and out every week in your church and they never prayed and the only prayers they ever gave were little token prayers, would you really want to be a part of that kind of a church? No, that's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. Here's the problem. The reason we don't have praying churches is we don't have praying people. In revival meetings increasingly, I have been very observant of some things. And it is this, that the hinge to whether the door of heaven really swings open on a meeting is not the preaching. It's the praying. Pardon me, too much stock put on the preacher. And the preacher's one telling you that. Too much stock put on the preacher. In fact, in some of the great revival meetings of bygone generations, nobody even talked much about the preacher. Nobody was consumed with just sermons. They were consumed with God. Only one man can stand on a platform at a time and preach. Let me tell you something everybody in this room can do. Everybody in this room can be on the Lord's prayer team. A few months ago, I showed up in a city up north of here on a Saturday night to begin a meeting like this. Tammy was with me and and to be frank with you, I, I wouldn't say that I was overly prepared for the meeting. And maybe that seems odd to you, but when you're in meetings every week, you're always trying to get, you know, get yourself ready. And 
stay right. And, and I showed up Saturday night, and I was tired. I was just tired. And we got to the place where we were staying, and I greeted the pastor. And, and I, honestly, I would not say I went to the meeting on Sunday with full of expectation. I got there Sunday morning. Meeting started. I preached, gave the invitation. I can't explain it to you. The invitation started, and it was like heaven sat down on the place. I don't remember what I preached. I don't think anybody else remembered what I preached. And suddenly I saw from parts of the building people broken. A man on this side came down the aisle with a friend, first-time visitor, elderly man, a neighbor he had brought that Sunday. A man came to be saved. I watched a distinguished-looking gentleman on this side of the back, all dressed up in his suit with his Bible. I'm talking about, you know, a journal and pens and everything. Walked down the aisle and shake the pastor's hand. The pastor said to me after church, he said, all the years I've pastored this church, that man has never moved, not one time. He got to the front, he shook his hand, and he said, Pastor, he said, I've been in this church all these years. He said, I've never been born again. I want to be saved. I mean, I'm serious now. I'm standing here like a spectator watching this going on, and I'm thinking, what on earth? For the record, it's really good as a preacher when you know God is doing something and you didn't do it. It's really good. Came back Sunday night, more of the same. Showed up Monday night, more of the same. I've never seen anything like it. So finally I said to the preacher, preacher, you're going to have to help me with something. What did you all do to get ready for this meeting? He said, well, that's interesting. Most of the time I ask that question and people say, well, we made posters. We announced it in town, invited people to come. This man said, I don't know why, he said, but 60 days ago, he said, God really impressed on me to get a group of our men together. And he said, I got them all in a room. And I said to those men, now men, don't do it if you won't commit to it, but I, I want to know how many of you will join me for the next 60 days to pray earnestly every day for this special meeting and we'll meet together once a week to pray for it. And they started praying. 30 days in, he got them all together and he said, now we've been praying every day and we've been praying once a week. Now I'm going to ask all of you to get some other church members and you start your own prayer circle and for the next 30 days, we're going to have groups of people praying in preparation for this meeting. Do you know by the time I showed up, look, anybody, anybody could have showed up, opened a Bible, I believe that, and preached. Those people were ready because it wasn't about a good sermon. The people had gone to prayer. Do you know what we need? We need somehow to get some of God's people again, excuse me, off of their comfort zone and their church pew, out of the weak, anemic, run-of-the-mill, ordinary, average kind of Christianity we've grown accustomed to. Somehow, we got to get somebody that says, we got to get a hold of God. And until we really go to prayer, don't you expect to see great things happen? In fact, I noticed in verse number 18, mark the little word go. Do you see in verse, uh, verse 18, which of us shall go first to the battle? And the Lord said, Judas shall go up first. Watch this. Before you can go forward, you have to go to prayer. 
Let me give you three simple thoughts, very simple thoughts, and then guess what we're going to do? Would you like to take a guess what we're going to do? We're going to go to prayer. Here's the first thing. From verse number 18, we must go to prayer for direction. We need direction. What were they praying for? They said, we know something has to be done, and we know God wants us to do it, but we don't know the exact details. Please don't miss this. Even when you think you know what to do, you need God to fill in the details. Every step and every stage and every season ordered by the Lord God Almighty. Do you know what spiritual people must learn to do? Two things, ask and listen. You have not because ye, you know that verse. Yes, not. And then once we ask, dear God, speak to me. We've got to be quiet enough to hear what it is God wants. How many of you know everybody knows what you ought to do? Everybody. And I said to somebody recently, the only thing I've learned is this. I don't need to know what anybody else thinks I ought to do. I need to know what one person wants me to do. Because there's only one person I'm going to stand before at the judgment seat someday. And I want to know when I see him that I listened to him before I saw him. When was the last time you really got a hold of God and knew that God gave you divine direction? And this is probably not you, but I actually thought by this time in my life all the big decisions would be behind me. I really did. I was kind of naive, I guess, but I thought, well, you know, once you figure out where you're going to college, who you're going to marry, and what you're going to do for a living, and where you're going to live, and all that kind of thing, then check, 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 check. All those boxes are done. All the big decisions are over. How many of you have lived long enough to know that never stops? No, there's twists and turns along the journey. There's crossroads of life. We have decisions to make, and we need directions. Some of you are agonizing over the next step for your own life, trying to figure it out. Some of you are trying to figure out what's best for your family or have a decision in your church. Let me tell you what we must do. We must stop going to everybody else to find out what they think. Don't follow the consensus of man. Get the counsel of Almighty God. And there's only one way to do that. you got to go to prayer. We're more interested in what everybody on social media thinks than what God says. And these people inquired of the Lord. By the way, that word's really interesting. It's a great Bible word. It's a word we don't use much anymore. But it literally means to earnestly, fervently seek the mind of God on something. Did you know that was the difference between Saul and David? Stand Saul up here. Stand David up here and say, what's the difference in them? What's the difference in these men? Both of them talented and capable. Both of them bright. Both of them used of God. What's the difference in Saul and David? One ends in tragedy and the other in triumph. One remembered as the man after God's own heart. One remembered as one of the saddest stories in the pages of human history. What's the difference in these men? One thing, David kept asking God what God wanted and Saul stopped. I'll prove it to you. Hold your place. We're coming right back. Turn over a few pages to 1 Chronicles chapter 10 for a moment. Here's a section we don't go too often. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Look at the last two verses. You want to know what the sin of Saul is? Uh, You ask that in an audience like this, and people give you all kinds of answers what Saul's sin was. But I'm going to show you what the Bible says it is. 1 Chronicles 10 verse 13. So Saul died... For his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, 
and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And everybody look carefully at verse 14. And inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. Everybody stare at verse 13 and verse 14. Verse 13 says, he asked counsel of a witch. Verse 14 says, he did not ask counsel of the Lord. How many of you think verse 13 sounds pretty bad? Come on now. How many of you think going to a witch sounds pretty evil? Don't you miss this. Verse 14 is just as wicked as verse 13. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's not a person in this room that would want to go to somebody with a familiar spirit, to a witch, to get their counsel. And yet, may I ask you a question? Why do we neglect the counsel of Almighty God? Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. To obey is better than sacrifice and a hearken than the fat of rams. What was Saul's great sin? Saul's sin was this. He stopped praying. When he was little in his own eyes, when he knew he needed God, when he was hiding amongst the stuff, when he was conscious of his own weakness and inability, and he cried out, Oh God, you got to help me. Then God's hand was on his life. But the day Saul thought he knew better than God was the day that God took his hand off his life. I tremble as I stand before you tonight because I know the blessing of God can be given and the blessing of God can be removed. And I say to you, I've seen churches that knew the blessing of God and it is gone. Families that knew the glory of God and it is gone. Lives that knew the power of God and it is gone. What is the great reason for that prayerlessness? Let me tell you what prayer is. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on God. Every time you pray, you're saying, you're God and I'm not. I'm sinful, you're holy. I'm weak, you're strong. I'm incapable, you're able. I'm ignorant, you're wise. Oh God, I need you. But don't miss this. If prayer is our dependence on God, prayerlessness is our arrogance. When we neglect to pray, what we are saying without saying it is, we think we can handle this on our own. And the moment we begin leaning to our own understanding, God, let that crutch fall right out from under you. Let you fall flat on your face to remind you that you must pray for divine direction at every stage on your journey. On our way back, stop off in 1 Samuel just for a moment, would you please? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 23. You want to see the contrast to Saul? Here's why God blessed David. Not because he was a perfect man. David committed adultery, committed murder. David was a sinful man. We're all sinful people, and yet God blessed his life. You want to know why? Because David never lost the humility and the recognition of how much he needed God. Look at 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. They told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore, look at verse 2. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said, Go. Look at verse 3. David's men said to him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Please mark verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord, don't miss it, yet again. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a generation of some of God's children to start praying yet again. That's what we need. You want to see God bless again? You want to see souls saved again? You want to see the glory of God again in a town? Then God's people must pray yet again. Look at verse 10. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, 
Thy servant has certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Look at the end of verse 11. The Lord said, he'll come down. Verse 12, then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they'll deliver thee up. Do you see this? Do you see this? Prayer was not an event. It was a way of life. He didn't pray once. He prayed without ceasing. He didn't pray just one time and say, check that box, feel pretty good about it. He prayed his way through every decision he had to make. You're still there, aren't you? In 1 Samuel, turn over to chapter 30 for a minute. Look at 1 Samuel 30. It's his whole life. Look at verse number 8. Mark it in your Bible. And David inquired at the Lord saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. Did you know it is dangerous to get behind God, but it's also dangerous to get ahead of God? You know the phrase walk in the Spirit in the New Testament, walk in the Spirit? It literally means to stay in step with. I love this. Look, please. You want to walk with God? Here's what it means to walk with God. It doesn't mean you do your devotions in the morning. To walk with God means that you stay in step with the Holy Ghost of God every day. And when God says go, you go. And when God says stop, you stop. And when you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in. And when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, you're so sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Ghost of God that whatever God says, your answer is immediately yes because you know God knows better than you do. You want this to be the house of God? You want to live in the presence of God? Then number one, you must pray for direction. Go back to Judges chapter 20. Let me give you a second one quickly. By the way, every misstep Israel ever had was because they didn't pray. Remember, remember early on the, the Gibeonites? And they took them at their word and inquired not of the Lord. Joshua 9 made a mess of things. I keep reading. Come down with me, please, to verse number 20. The story continues. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day. 22,000 men. Time out just a second. Did God tell them to go, yes or no? Were they doing the right thing, yes or no? Should they have expected victory, yes or no? And the first day of fighting, they lose 22,000. Did you know that sometimes even when you know the right thing to do and you're doing the right thing and you're doing it the way God wants you to do it, things still don't always go the way you hope. The enemy pushes back. The struggle and stress and strain and spiritual warfare is real. May I tell you, that's the real test of whether you're going to pray your way through this thing and keep moving forward for God. So keep reading. Look at verse Number 21, excuse me, verse 22. And the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the first day. And look at verse 23. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until even. I love this. Thank you for this Holy Spirit. And asked counsel the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against him. Any of you in this room feel like you're living in the parenthesis right now? Did you know even God's parenthesis are inspired? 
Look carefully at verse number 23. The whole verse is in a parenthesis. Do you know what a parenthesis is? I love this. A parenthesis is not the whole story, but it's a part that helps you understand the story better. Do you know what the parenthesis of verse 23 is? Look at all of them. Look at all of them sitting and weeping and crying. And they're sitting in the house of God in Bethel. And they say, oh God, you told us to go. And you told us you'd help us. And 22,000 of us died today. Oh God, are you sure about this? And the Lord said, just keep fighting. Would you write down a second thing? We must not only pray for direction, but we must pray our way through opposition. There are times we're in the midst of doing the right thing. Some of you are there right now. You are doing the right thing. And by the way, the devil's beating you over the head with a club, accusing God to you and you to God and you to others and everybody else to you. And you know why he's doing that? Because he's trying to get you to stop fighting the good fight of faith. He doesn't want you to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to pray again. You know the hardest thing to do in prayer? Shut the door. Jesus said, when you go in your closet, shut the door. And then pray. People say, I'll tell you, preacher, I don't really know how to pray. Okay, how many of you know how to talk? Would you raise your hand, please? Then you know how to pray. Because prayer is just talking this way instead of talking this way. Prayer is not hard. I'm going to tell you what's hard, shutting the door. Stopping the other voices, all the noise, getting still before God, being quiet before the Lord. Look, the battle is in array everywhere. Satan, all the hounds of hell, doing everything they can to push back everything God ordains. Satan opposes, and some of you are starting to wonder, are we even doing the right thing? Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to get back in the presence of God, because everything looks different from heaven's perspective. And so what did they do through the opposition? They just prayed. I've wondered about this. Why did God let them have so many people killed? Talk to me, class. Could they have gone out and not had a single person die, yes or no? You're getting ready to read the rest of it. Guess what? The second day, guess what happens? More of them die. You ever wonder? Like, God tells them to go, and they're doing the right thing, and they're praying their way through, and still comrades are dying on the right and on the left, why did God allow that? I don't know the answer, and I, I, I'm not going to play God, and I can't answer all of your questions, but I did wonder as I meditated on this a little bit this week, is it possible that the children of Israel were leaning on their numbers and leaning on their resources and leaning on their weapons and thinking, we can handle this, we're going to straighten this out, we're going to fix this, and God had to bring them down to the point where they could not rest on their own resources, they had to rely on His. Is it possible that perhaps right now God's stripping everything away that you had confidence in and everything you hoped for so that you would not lean on people and lean on circumstances and lean on yourself? You'd lean on Jesus alone. The hymn writer wrote, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I sang that for years without even thinking about what that meant. 
Sweet frame. What sweet frame? Every now and then we talk about it being in a good frame of mind. You ever hear somebody say that? A good frame of mind? That's exactly what he was talking about. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Excuse me. You can come to a meeting like this, hear beautiful singing, hear, hear a message that stirs you up a little bit, and get in a good frame of mind and think, all right, we're going to follow Jesus and serve God. You better be real careful. If you're leaning on your good frame of mind to get you through tomorrow, you're not going to make it. You must lean on the one who never changes, and that is Jesus Christ. We don't pray because we feel like it. We pray because we know we must have God. And so, going to prayer for direction. We're going to prayer through our opposition. By the way, notice what they had in verse number 23. Two things. They had tears and questions. You ever been there? All you got is tears and questions. Let me tell you what you do. Look, please. Bring your tears to Jesus. Jesus weeps with sinners. Aren't you glad Jesus weeps with sinners? He stood in that cemetery and wept. Thank you for that, Lord. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Revelation says he has all of our tears in a bottle. What do you think of that? You lay in bed at night. Stare at the ceiling and cry yourself to sleep and wet your pillow with your tears and think nobody knows and nobody cares. Oh, there is a God who cares for you, who hears every prayer, who knows every hair on your head, who knows every care you're dealing with at this moment. Bring your tears to Jesus. And questions? We all have them, don't we? It's funny, when you're young, starting out, you got all the answers. Aren't you stupid when you're young sometimes, you know? And after a while, you start figuring out what the questions are. It is strange, isn't it? Like, go back in your mind. You remember when you first started out and you had this big agenda and it was, you know, going to be a certain way and you, had law, and you could tell everybody else how to straighten out their messes too. And then you get smacked in the face by life and sucker punched by circumstances. And the devil knocks you down. And suddenly, your idealism turns to cynicism. And you start wondering where's God and worrying about the future. We've all been there. Look, please, you're not alone in that. Everybody has their questions. Watch. It's not wrong to have questions. The issue is, what are you going to do with your questions? Let me, let me recommend some to you. Bring your questions to the only one who has the answers. Only God can take your question mark and straighten it out and make an exclamation point out of it in the end. Some of you tonight are struggling with great questions. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to drag your questions kicking and screaming into the presence of a holy God. Did you know God has a complaint department? He does. You ought to read the Psalms again. <laughs> read all the times that the psalmist, I'm talking about the man after God's own heart, said, Lord, I complain in my spirit. Here's what I've discovered. It's all right to complain as long as you're talking to the one person who can do something about it. That's not what we do, though, is it? <laughs> what do we do? We post it on social media. That's what we do. We go find us a friend and say, you're not going to believe what I'm going through. And you know why? Because we all want pity. We want somebody to say, well, bless your heart. Nobody's had it harder than you and Job, just the two of you. <laughs> Let you in a little secret. Pity's not going to get you through. But prayer will. Commiserating with others, that, that's not going to get you through. Let me tell you what will get you through. You get near God and you say, oh, God, 
you sure about this? And the Lord said, you got the green light. All right, Lord. Then I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of another. Hey, you say you want to go forward? You say you want to win the battle? You say you want to live in victory? Let me tell you what you do. You go to prayer for every direction, and you go to prayer in the face of every opposition. One more thing. Look how the story ends. It's really fascinating. Right after the parenthesis, look at verse number 24. The children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again 18,000 men. All these drew the sword. And all the children of Israel and all the people went up. (laughs) Where'd they come to, please? Yeah, right back to Bethel. They came into the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord. Hold on just a minute. Does verse 26 look a whole lot like verse 23 to you? And they fasted that day into the even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. For the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle? Can you hear the frustration? Can you hear the exasperation in, in the tone? Don't just read what he's saying. Look at it. Look. They had 22,000 die the first day and 18,000 die the second day. I mean, if my math is right, they're down 40,000 people. I mean, this does not look good, people. Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or... Shall I what? Do you all believe every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Excuse me. Do you believe the same Holy Ghost that inspired the Old Testament inspired the New Testament? Only one thing we're told to do in the New Testament without ceasing. You know what it is? Pray without ceasing. He's making his prayer. He said, Lord, is it enough? Can we stop now? Shall I cease? And the Lord said, go up. For tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. Write down a third thing. We... We go to God in prayer for direction. We go to God in prayer to pray our way through opposition. And number three, we go to God to pray in the midst of our own frustration. When the answer does not come quickly, what do you do? Go to God. When it doesn't happen on your timetable, when you don't understand, when you can't see it, what do you do? You go to God. You wait on God. When you feel like quitting, what do you do? You don't cease. You go to God. The first response of a true believer should always be this. We're going to prayer. Let's just stop right now and pray about that. Somebody says something negative about somebody, you say, you know what? You're right. You're right. Let's stop right now and pray for them. Somebody starts fussing about something, you know what? Let's talk to God about that. Maybe the Lord will show us what to do. You go to prayer, you go to prayer, you go to prayer. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Watch and pray. Look, please, at every turn in life, we must go to prayer, especially when we're frustrated. My pastor used to say that discouraged people always overstate their problems. That's true. How many of you ever had a low day? The rest of you people are asleep. That's what you are. Let's try it one more time. How many of you ever had a low day? Be honest. How many of you had one today? That's interesting. How many of you had a true Monday? Yes? Long day? How many of you had a long week today? Anybody have one of those today? A long week already on Monday? Yeah. You know what I've discovered about myself? 
When I'm low, that's not the time for me to vent to everybody else. You know what that is? That's the time for me to go somewhere. I may not feel like it. I usually don't. But close the door and say, oh, God, help me. And you know what I've discovered? Those low moments when it's ebbing and not flowing, you know what I'm talking about. Many times become the most precious moments with God. God meets you there, people. I know the country's a mess. You think God might just be glorified to step into it when it's this kind of mess? I know people are hurting on every hand. I know that. But do you think there's still a God in heaven on his throne who has his eye on us and his ear is open to our prayer, who still hears and answers prayer? If there is, I'm going to tell you what we need. We need to go to prayer. I noticed this sitting on the front row a minute ago. I love the Bible. Look at verse number 30. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin. Would you mark in verse 30 this phrase, on the third day? Did you know God likes to work on the third day? Like a whole lot of stuff comes alive on the third day. You ever wonder why he waits to the third day? The Jewish people were superstitious people. They thought even the spirits of their departed loved ones hovered near the grave for three days. But after that, there was no more hope. I love this. God said, I'm going to wait till you've got no more hope in anything in this world so your hope will be in me alone. And on the third day, I'm going to bring you victory. Some of you are living on the first day and the second day right now. i got good news. The third day is coming. It's not the time to quit praying, church. This is the time to press into the presence of God. Abram learned to pray at Bethel. Jacob learned to pray at Bethel. Israel learned to pray at Bethel. And every one of us must learn to pray at Bethel. I'll show you one more verse. Look at the first, excuse me, the second verse of the next chapter. Look at chapter 21, verse 2. See if this sounds vaguely familiar. And the people came to the house of God. And abode there till even before God and lifted up their voices and wept sore and said, O Lord God of Israel, why is this come to pass? Somebody said, well, that's a different story, preacher. Exactly. Here's what I want you to see. This is not a one-time event. They're going to have to go back to the house of God and pray over and over and over and over. Look at me, please. And so are you. And this is the time for us to go to prayer. Elisha Hoffman, a preacher greatly used of the Lord, a very musical man, went to visit a woman that was in great distress. She was just distraught. She had lost so much, and she was hurting and grieving. She was beside herself. He went to bring her some comfort. Speaking as a preacher, I've discovered that many times, those are times you just don't even know what to say, and whatever you say is not enough. He tried. He really tried. He read every psalm he could to her. He, he quoted every good Bible promise he could. He told her every good thing he knew. And finally, the woman, just beyond emotion, just beyond it, over the, over the edge, he was exasperated. He had come to the end of himself. He stood up in her living room, and he said, Madam, all I know to tell you is you're just going to need to tell Jesus about it. He later testified that at that moment, her countenance changed just like that. And her face lit up, and through her tears, she said, that's it. That's it, preacher. 
And she got down on her knees in her living room, and he said, I've never heard a woman pour out her soul like that woman poured out her soul. But he said, in those few moments, I heard her just tell Jesus all of her troubles. And he said, when she got up from her knees, she still had her troubles. She was a different woman. He went home, got a pen and a piece of paper and wrote these words, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his home. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver, make of my troubles quickly an end. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior. One who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, He all my cares and sorrows will share. Would you hear me with your heart just a minute? I don't know what you're dealing with. I can't speak on everything tonight. If I did know what you were dealing with, I couldn't meet your needs. But if you'll tell Jesus, He will meet you right where you are. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.